0: hi Hi! welcome back to the second episode of fair migrant scholar uh, on today's episode we have two aspirational women that i can't wait for you to meet in a second and as usual, we have the co-pilots, Obi and Charles as well. They will be jumping in from time to time um, to also help me navigate this podcast. Today, I think I particularly need Kane, So my apologies in advance for any blunders that I would make. <laughs> um, I will start with the first introduction. Uh, I've got the first guest that I want to introduce today. Today. Um, Again, this is something that we're quite passionate about, and hopefully you, when you hear their stories as well, it would inspire you. The first guest I do have today to introduce you to is Hilda Krager. Uh, she's currently the MD for Jobs at Rome Africa. Um, Hilda has had years of consulting experience and is quite passionate about using technology to bridge divides across in Africa and prior to joining Rome, uh, Hilda was the engagement manager at Mackenzie and Company. Hilda, interestingly, is also an alumni of INSET, and we are so honored and happy to have you today on Dare Migrant Scholar. Apologies for all the loose, loose nuts and bolts, and we're happy to have you here. Thank you for your time today, this beautiful session.
1: Thank Saturday. you so much guys. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, so the next guest we have is Kemi Onabanjo Joseph. I had to add that, Joseph. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: so I was just talking with Kemi. That I've known Kemi for over 10 a decade, I think, probably like close to 15 years. Uh, uh, she's been a very good friends. Kemi is currently uh, an associate partner in McKinsey & Company, uh, lot of consultant experience. Prior that, she uh, also did, had a stint in Ericsson and she's an alumni of uh, INSIA. Now, th- there's something else about Kevin, she's also the president of one of the um, leading uh, alumni associations in Nigeria, which is CU. Uh, she ran one of the best campaigns I have seen. And was <laughs> teasing her uh, that after this presidential campaign, you need to start thinking about uh It's after 2023, so uh, that was really cool. It's really good to have you here, thank you. and we're excited to have both of you. All right.
3: It's great to be here. Thank you, and I'm exceptionally excited to be with my friend Me Hilda. Awesome. <laughs> this was a good reunion, so very, thank very you. Uh, I very well <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys.
0: Awesome. <laughs> So I'm gonna kick off with the first question that we have. Um, I think I can really relate to this question a lot, but it's not from an MBA perspective. I think I'm the only non MBA on this table, so um my books are all open to learn a lot from all four of you, um, but I can relate to this experience because I know um, when I was applying for a masters as well, there were a lot of voices in my head about what schools to choose, whether it's a Russell Group, Ivy League, whatever it is called, and you know, getting some sort of mentorship to through the application process. Um, for you, when did you decide it was time? What prompted that decision to decide to do an MBA? I'll start with you, Hilda.
1: Um, for me, actually interesting, so I was working at KPMG at the time, and I, I, I think I was just guided by the fact that, you know, if you're I'm from Uganda, right, and Uganda is a very small country, Uganda is not even the biggest country in East Africa. So if, for example, you're serving a client, it is the Uganda office of the East African subsidiary of the African subsidiary of the global entity. And I kept thinking to myself, at what point do I go global? But I was looking for law schools because I'm a lawyer. It's actually so interesting. I just one day saw like a banner that said B school and actually thought maybe when you're doing an LLM, there's an A list of schools and a B list of schools. So I was like, maybe (laughs) if I can manage these schools, (laughs) let me check out the B schools as well so I can apply to some safety schools. And I clicked that link and a whole new world opened. Like all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, I can do an MBA. Why am I stuck on law? Like all of a sudden so many different opportunities open up for me. Like I'm not practicing law right now. This gives me so many more opportunities. And that's how the journey started.
3: Amazing. Amazing.
1: And where was this link? It was on, you know, like when you're doing a master's, right? Like there's, there's typical websites. I think it was like an LLM website. So I was looking at master's in law degrees, master's in business law, whatever. And then like a, an ad pretty much at the top hand corner just said, be school. And it's like, okay, let me go to a list of schools. <laughs> 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 I'd never, ever even heard about the concept, to be honest. Well, I'd heard about, I had like one cousin, 10 years old, i done an MBA, but it just it hadn't sunk in how, how life-changing as a program it could be. It
0: could be, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, um, um Kemi,
0: did you, did you have a similar experience as well, or was yours totally different?
3: Oh, it was a very very different experience. I was already working in the B-School company. <laughs> um, so I had, um, I think I, I always knew that I was going to go to business school at some point. I think, <clears throat> I mean, I met Obina way, way, way back. I was a tech girl before tech became sexy. Um, now I'm trying to see if There's still space for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to see if tech will love me again, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) I studied computer science in my undergrad and, um, I knew that I wasn't going to be a coder, my personality wasn't suited to it. Uh, even the times when I did internships, which is where I met Obina, I was never the person writing designing code. no, you know, I was doing more of the customer-facing stuff, doing more of the like design thinking, right So I knew that I wasn't going to practice for long, but I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I always knew and I'm, every Nigerian parent kind of Loki wants their child to go to Harvard, right?) Um, and so there's a lot of brand visibility for those top schools here in Nigeria where I grew up. Um, and so because I managed not to go to school abroad for my undergrad, I always knew I wanted to do a foreign degree at some point. Not for credibility as it were, but just to have that international experience and, you know, be a true global citizen, yeah, right? i exactly. uh, not just a local champion. So. <laughs> 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 it's true. I mean, and the world—the world is shrinking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you don't want to just be this local person that you know can't no engage. Beyond yeah, but beyond, agree. but agree. No, no offense, but I agree. Yeah. Um, and so. By the time I got into uh, McKinsey, this was my fourth year of work, and I'd worked here a, f- a few years. Of course, like consulting is one of the biggest employers of MBA grads, right? So I had met a whole range of MBA grads. Um, I did not need an MBA to continue at McKinsey. I did not need an MBA for you know, any specific consulting career advancement, but I'd always nursed the you know desire for an international education a real global education um and so after a while i figured it was time i made manager um and i figured this was the right time for me to go otherwise you know i would just have kept progressing and it would there would never be a good enough time so i had so many resources a lot of my colleagues were already uh b school graduates and i essentially applied to the school that met a few criteria. I know we're going to come to that question, but yeah, there were a few things I was looking out for. And one of them was how the graduates of those schools made me feel when I was you know, with them. Yeah.
4: yeah, Just one quick, one quick question, um, I guess uh, Hilda and Kemi. So I guess uh, business school, we've sort of trashed out how you selected your business schools, but your first degrees, how did you actually pick those ones? Was they, were they any different from Hilda's <laughs> laughing? Did your parents mentor you into what you should study or was it you know, some other role model? How did that
1: uh, My grandfather's a lawyer. My uncles are lawyers. My cousins are lawyers. I am ah. a lawyer.
5: Oh, there <laughs> you, you <laughs>
1: Never crossed my mind honestly, but there's something else I could do. Never crossed my mind, which is interesting because like, now my, my siblings that came after me, they actually said, no, I don't want to do law. And it turns out it was fine. So I could have said no all along, but it's easier to go in the way of everybody else. How did you to school? Uh, for my school, I knew I wanted to go to South Africa because at the time, like I'm from Uganda, so South Africa is like a five-hour flight away, so my parents knew they could come see us anytime, we could go home more often, not like you're, you're really far away, and then in South Africa itself, we're solving for a place with a good law school, so in Port Elizabeth, for example, but not in a big enough city that there's so much crime, because I was like 18 years old, so that was a concern of my dad, so yeah, that, that was it. Very practical reasons, very practical nice.
4: <laughs> Yeah. So, Kemi, how, yeah, how did talking. you end up with, uh, yeah.
3: How did I end up with the degree or with the school? Which no, one? <laughs> well, the,
4: the degree, yeah. I would like. I mean, computer science at that time, like you said, wasn't sexy. So, what, you know, why did you choose know. computer science?
3: Yeah, it's a very, in, it's a very interesting story because, I mean, I was going to be a doctor. Mm. Um. So, I was going to be a doctor and I had applied to, you know, a few schools in the state, I was going to go to the state. So I was either going to be in Texas where we had some family friends or in Philadelphia. So it was one of those two places. And so I applied to schools there, had my admissions, had my I-20, went to the embassy boom no visa wow. so <laughs> oh my, God. Um, my dreams were crushed wow. yeah um and so i remember actually so for the nigerians you probably know where the u.s embassy is water quarantine and i lived on the mainland <laughs> i wept from water quarantine <laughs> all the way through top mainland traffic all the way to my house in Oba Ikeja I wept I didn't cry I wept you know oh um,
5: yeah. because okay. I didn't have any history. backup plans
3: to be honest I didn't have backup plans so this was uh, I was denied my visa July 2020 can't be 2020 sorry 2003. <laughs> July 2003 2003 uh, and what had happened was After I did my TOEFL and SAT early in January, I was bored. So uh, I went to visit my cousin who was at Covenant University. And that weekend they were doing the exams. I guess I used to be a nerd then. I was like, oh, an exam, let me do an exam. So literally that's what happened. I just bought the form and you know felt i'll just do the exam this was even before i got denied my visa so i got admission but i didn't pursue it because i was going to america of course and then when america didn't want me no more i was like i have one admission somewhere let me go and find that place and funny enough they were literally they had sent the list and you have to accept of course i ignored it so i went digging for the letter went all the way to augusta to be like i'm here so that's how the school what came about. Then I kept thinking I was going to transfer after one year, after one semester, to go and do my pre-med. So I essentially (laughs) looked at the course list in Covenant University at the time, which was, what, nine months old at the time. Wow. Yeah, it was was second set. It was prep, exactly, very, very early days. And there were only four courses in the College of Science and Technology then. It was computer science, management information systems, computer engineering, information and communications technology. I was like, of this four, which one of them (laughs) would give me The best chance of transferring enough credits for my pre-med degree was computer science. Boom. That's how it was. That's how I came to the decision. And then after one semester, I figured I wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) So I stayed and I finished. So yeah, that's how I chose uh, computer science.
2: So it's interesting you talked about um, the visa issue because I remember when you were thinking of picking a school too um, and you picked uh, INSEAD <laughs> and you wanted to go to Singapore, there was also visa issues too. So anyway, you to, know, to, talk to us how you picked your school and I know there's also a visa issue too for the Singapore uh, story. So <laughs> yes. Yeah,
3: so I mean, how did I pick INSEAD? A uh, couple of things. One was, um, I looked at my life situation
5: <laughs>
3: and I figured I did not have two years Um to go to school. And I think it's important for everyone trying to make this decision to always be real with yourself, right? It was gonna be two years, no income. I was not sponsored uh, because <clears throat> I didn't come in as a business analyst. So consulting firms typically will um, sponsor business analysts. I didn't come in as a business analyst. I was an experienced hire as a junior associate. And so I didn't qualify for sponsorship. So I was going to be no income no sponsorship basically i was paying out of pocket for two years i didn't know how it was going to work and i still had bills in nigeria right i had i looked at my life situation and i was like i cannot afford to be gone for two years so first things first it had to be a one-year program and there were a few options you know there was the kellogg there's a kellogg accelerated program that they actually do in collaboration with mckinsey so you can do a fast track there was Columbia accelerated program as well where you could do a bit of a crash course 15 months there was INSEAD there was there were a few options Um, but the second layer was then where of the people that I'd interacted with what schools did I really like the alum right and for some reason I think all the INSEAD people I met were just very authentic and very um, just down to earth I don't know, there was just something about them that I really liked. The other school which shall not be named. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. which my which my wow. mother would have preferred me to go. Wow. Um, some of the people from there just rubbed me off wrong, you know, so uh, not your old school, not your old school. they just used to rub me off wrong. So all the insiders I met were just just amazing people right um and I thought you know whatever they're giving them in that school I want to go drink it so um, I decided I was going to go to INSEAD it was the only school I applied to as well uh which is very risky (laughs) but I thought if I'm going to leave my job that does not require me to have an MBA to go to this expensive holiday that I'm going on it better be good right so um I picked INSEAD, applied only to INSEAD, and I applied to the Singapore campus because I wanted to experience Asia. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to just go as far away as possible um, because, I mean, with holidays and stuff, I'd explored Europe to an extent. So I thought, let me go to the Singapore campus. But the Singapore campus said, I don't want you.
5: <laughs>
3: so I took my L. I <laughs> I deferred for six months and oh, wow. then went to the, went to the uh, Fontainebleau campus in France, which ended up being absolutely amazing. I was also running away from the cold in France, to be honest, um, which I then experienced. And I probably had like the most miserable three months of my life um, in, in, that, in that winter. But it was a really good experience, and I, I was very happy to be in one place for a year. Yeah. Because up until that time, I had been living out of a box for maybe three years, just with the um, lifestyle of being a, a global consultant. So yeah, that's how I chose my school, uh, the people, understanding that I wanted a one-year program, and then the location was based on you know what my what was given to me because of my last. <laughs> 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 <Your> <laughs> <high school>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because like mine is yeah. almost, well, not exactly the opposite, but kind of the opposite in the sense that when I was going to business school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Again, remember, I was trying to do a master's in law. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I knew about consulting, I definitely wanted to work at a place like McKinsey, but I never thought it was accessible like, to a lawyer like me, so I knew I needed two years like, to do the internship, figure out what I want to do, um, and also I was kind of young, uh, com- relatively speaking, <laughs> so I just needed that time. Um, I think I was doing applications like when I was maybe 26 or something. Um, and then I applied, so in the first round, I applied to, first of all, why are you talking about applications guys i did the gym at three times like I, did, I did the first time i did it twice I, I no did shame gym. i took my l never will never say that score <laughs> i studied harder did a second one i was like ah now i can go somewhere so i take myself with all my ambition and apply to harvard and stanford i didn't get in I did the GMAT a third time and I was like, okay, fine. Because there's two, there's maybe two or three issues. There's a GMAT, yes. There's application fees, because I'm working in KPMG in Uganda. Guys, we were earning like maybe a thousand dollars max. This is like third world, third world, right? Not even tier one, third world like Nigeria where there's money. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and every <laughs> Every application is like $150, right? Yeah, yeah. So me or my salary of, of 1,000 gross. Um <laughs> I can't afford those applications. So after I did the third gym, I was like, okay, fine, before you do my applications, this is now like January, do um open day. And then I also like humbled myself, okay, fine. Realistically speaking, would you rather be in Europe or America? Be in Europe, it's close to home, ETC. Um, in terms of fees, a little bit lower. In terms of GMAT score, also a little bit more lenient, right? So I went to London Business School to the open day and I went to ESA's open day. And I've always been drawn to the Opus day and like that kind of living. But as in, I just stepped in Barcelona and I knew this is my home. Like, oh my God, that city. Everything was perfect. It's so beautiful. You go from London weather to Barcelona weather, already that's just like a night and day. Then the school itself and like that whole Opus Day, like ethos, like, you know, um, serving God, like with your talents and really being dedicated to it just really, really drew me in. And so I made the choice and I applied and I got in and clearly that was where I was meant to be. Oh.
0: These are very inspirational stories and I really relate to your visa experiences because I was also denied visa to come to the UK, by the way, and I don't know what happened that year but you know it's one of those things. Um, so the conversation now during this MBA and um, again, with the schools that you've chosen. Um, as females, were there particular? Or let me just say, as females, as Africans, and then as minorities as well, was that was that experience a peculiar experience that? actually maybe you rocked you to probably decide maybe I want to be a voice for my people or maybe I want to show these people that I am actually here to make a difference was was it was it something was there an experience nobody that you would want to share with us either as a female or as a minority or was it just a place where everybody just didn't, didn't worry about you know where you came from or your sex I'll start with you Kemi what was your experience like
5: <laughs> so, <laughs> it's
3: like there's a lot of story. <laughs> I don't know, Hilda. Okay, I'm go- <laughs> okay, Let me let me start. Let me start from the um more like serious stuff, and then I'll talk about the you know not so serious things. So from it was my first time. I mean, I, I'm fully homegrown Nigerian, right? So born, bred, schooled, undergrad, worked, everything in Nigeria. And even though while I was at McKinsey, my, and I think about, I have before INSEAD, after INSEAD, um, <clears throat> McKinsey experiences, right? Before I went to INSEAD, even though I'd done global projects, I'd worked in the Middle East, I'd worked in Tunisia, i you know done projects in South Africa, all of that, it was always kind of in a bit of a bubble, right? So it was a very well-curated you know team room team experience and even when i went to those countries and i was working from there within the client context uh there was a lot of diversity right so i never felt like a minority going away to business school in france was the first time i really felt like a minority in my whole life and i think i was for real yeah. i was i think 28 when i went to business school it was the first time i felt like a minority it was the first time i realized how dark skinned i was because in i was yellow you know <laughs> i was i was a light skinned man and so it was the first time i'll see pictures i'll be like what who is this black human being
1: I can't be seen enough i cannot be seen like the
3: only thing you can like, The only thing you see is my teeth. Like, (laughs) what? I honestly was so shocked. It was the first time I was a minority, and I think, I mean, it did some things to me. In the beginning, it was rough because I felt so out of place. I felt so, my accent, all of a sudden, I could hear my Yoruba accent very (laughs) strongly. This was me. I thought I was a good English speaker, you know? It's like, I I, I was very, I was acutely aware of how different I was. And INSEAD is a school that, you know, thrives on diversity. One of its, mm-hmm. you know, bragging rights is that it has usually, what, 70-plus nationalities in each class. Yeah. However, the, there's still a lot of underrepresentation of, you know, Africans. So I was still one of the, you know, few sprinkles of Africans that were there. So I really felt my... my, my um, difference and it was the first time i was a minority so it was you know was, my self-esteem took a blow it was it was not easy but we made it you know um what, what that has done for me is actually is given me a lot of empathy right so i'm i'm now that i'm back home and i'm in the majority again <laughs> um, i'm aware when there's an outsider i have a sense of how they can be feeling and so i usually would take you know, extra steps to help them feel welcome and all of that, which is what some of my classmates did for me um, and helped me, you know, settle in. Of course, what also happens is you then find your people like you, right? So you end up, you know, bonding with uh, a lot of other um, Africans um, I also found like as an extension of Africans, I don't know, I was also drawn to Desi people. Yeah, so yeah. Indians, Pakistani, I think it was just like on the, you know, color spectrum. They were the next people to us. You know, we're kind of like in the same boat. Yeah. Um, and so we bonded. We, uh, and so some of my closest friends are from there. And I don't know if it was just, you know, struggle mentality that we were bonding, but it worked out. <laughs> and I, I, I guess there was some, you know, similarity and all that. I think the other sort of people I bonded it were like Iberians. Yeah. Exactly. So Spanish people, Spanish. Portuguese people. They also had like I felt like that there was just, yeah, that spirit, that, you know, joy the vive, that that warmth, right? I could feel it with them. And so I was still friends with a lot of people. I ended up being valedictorian, right? And for being valedictorian, your class selects you. Mm-hmm. So it's not about academics. Your class actually selects you. So I, I I guess I did something right in terms of connecting with different pockets of people broadly. But I think being in the minority made me appreciate community, right? And just, you know, finding people that look like you. On the not so serious side of things, I felt like, I don't know if you felt the same thing, but I felt like black girls were at the bottom of the dating food chain. I feel like they were like blonde girls, that they were like... You know Spanish Chicatos. <laughs> I don't know. And then it was like after everybody has hooked up oh, there will be there. See. <laughs> I don't know you guys in my head. No. I never said this thing out publicly, but I feel
1: like we were at the bottom of the- I felt- so, so I felt that change. but at the same time I felt that there was like a fetish thing going on as well mm. in the sense that like oh my god Jeez. your black skin is so beautiful oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like you're looking for a serious anything it but ever... it's like I'm a curiosity you've never seen before and yeah. you want to experience me does that make sense? <laughs> 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 I mean, you're right, it's like in the bottom of the food chain until it's just for <laughs> 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 you can touch, you touch your skin like I actually had somebody lick my face on the bus stop <laughs> like oh my god your black skin <laughs> looks like chocolate yeah like that kind of like I guess because was emotional. So yeah, but I feel you. Um, I think for me, uh, first of all, you're right. Even me, I never felt as a minority until I went to business school. i never in a place where there's just so few black people or where like, people look at me as a minority, even as a woman, as, right? I had zero conception of what that meant for me or my life. And at first, I carried it all as a burden on my head. You know being a person in class when they bring back up like a black case study, you're like this. Partly because we're expecting you to be like that. And then like one day I was like, you know what? No. I'm just done. Like, this is so exhausting. I'm also trying to figure out for myself, like, what does this mean for me? Um, there's lots going on. I can't be like the talking of blackness, right? Like, <laughs> I can't be carrying this on top of my head every single time. But what had happened for me later on in business school, so like, by second year of business school, I really was just like, i taken a backseat for real. Like, I was still doing things like Africa Business Club, but I was really not trying to defend um, the black <laughs> agenda, honestly. And it's because we're so few, and the questions are always coming to you. and It's a responsibility and I was just not ready for it, but it it got me thinking, and I think later on, right after business school, coming to Nigeria and being at McKinsey and seeing more people have experienced that, is when I began to think of myself, like, okay, what do I stand for in this world? Like, who do I want to champion? I want to champion women. Just women, not just women, black women. What does this look like and why? But while I was in business school, the whole idea of minority and minority rights, ETC just confused me. Like, I had never encountered it and it was such a huge burden and I dropped it down to the side eventually yeah for better or for worse that's the truth <laughs> yeah. yeah i just said here to live my best life and to be in school all your black questions sorry can't be me
2: this is a good way to transition to kind of uh can you just talk to us about what the highlight of your mba was um i don't know maybe we'll go with hilda first you want to you want to start
1: um. Oh my God. There's so Multiple many. People. I don't know how to think about it. Uh, multiculty, right? <laughs> um, I don't know how to think about it. But for me, if I was thinking about that, it, was it was a mindset shift, right? Like when I before I went to business school, I was extremely conservative. Like I grew up in a very religious family. My idea of a good person was a Christian, and you know, maybe you, don't <laughs> you know, um, and everything else is bad. Um, and I just had no, I I didn't quite understand like what global dynamics were when it comes to like interpersonal relations and the fact that, you know, you can have friends from different backgrounds, from different parts of life, different beliefs, and that's not a barrier. And it changed my way of thinking, because had, had I not had that moment of revelation, I would have left Asia and gone straight back to Uganda, by the way, back to my safe home and, and live my life that way. But being able to embrace that change is okay, fine. I know you are from, as you said, Desi, right? And you pray to a thousand gods, but that's still okay and then oh i know i don't have an idea of like what's going on in your life but then we vibe on some level and that's okay we don't have to be the same and being able to embrace that was my my highlight like i think when i think about it there's of course there's moments like multicultural you say and like my internship and all the friendships and travel but my mind is what changed the most um like there's clearly a hilda pre-business school and a hilda after business school yeah yeah I would say it's
3: very it's very similar for me. Um, I always tell my younger friends that I met myself in business school. Yeah. Like I I met um, a very I met another side of me, and I think that that side of me that I met <clears throat> is is kind of what I've carried forward now. Um, so who did I meet? I met this person who who was not afraid to just try. I think it was the first time in my life that I was actively going to learn things I did not know. <clears throat> I mean, if you grew up in, in, um, in an African society, I guess, like good grades are the most important things to your parents, right? So what happens is to be able to maintain good grades, you stay in your comfort zone. You, you continue to do subjects that you are um, very familiar with and you're very comfortable with and you don't rock the boat too much. I think business school was the first time that I was like, you know, I don't understand marketing. I'm going to go and learn marketing, right? Uh, I don't understand, you know, consumer behavior. I'm going to take a course in consumer behavior. Because I'm coming from a low base of knowledge, I likely will not be the best. I will not earn the best grades there. Because if you put me and somebody who's worked in marketing, exactly, for 10 years, and they give us the same exam, of course they'll do better than me but i think it was the first time that i released myself from the pressure of grades and really leaned into learning and it's very it's a very different mindset so it's not about you know what you score it's about what you've learned and I, i did a lot of you know out of my range out of my range courses because i figured number one i'm paying the school fees by myself so as well. i don't have anybody to take the report card through. <laughs> the report card is for me no. the second thing is if i'm paying this much i better be getting the most value out of it if it's something that i could have just learned on google or on some you know mooc i should not have bothered spending all this hard currency And I went to business school in the middle of the massive devaluation in Nigeria in 2015. So that was the kind of school fees I was paying, converting at double the amount. So I just thought, like, if I'm here, let me get the most out of it. And so I think it was the first time that I actively switched on my growth mindset, right, and leaned into learning. That was going to be – that's one of the highlights for me. Mm. All the things that I learned that I ordinarily would not have learned um, because I literally – put aside the pressure for grades and said, I'm going to go learn. I think the other thing would be the, um, the relationships, right? The people that I met, the, the, the bonds that I formed. Um, I I mean, I got married three years after graduation and there was a whole contingent. Like there's all, there was a whole insured crew that was at the wedding that came from Australia, the UK, India, Cameroon, South Africa, you know, like they all showed up. Um, and I literally had a whole itinerary for them and, you know, spend time with them before, spend time with them after. And it was such a beautiful moment because it felt like, yeah, this is why we went to school, right? Yeah. This is why we didn't do an online degree. Yeah. It's because of those relationships, right? Um, so the highlights for me would be just expanding my mind, meeting myself. I started writing again yeah. when I went to business school. So now I, I write a newsletter every week. I have a blog, but that writing gift really manifested right when i went to business school um and so i met myself i i leaned into learning my growth mindset just like opened up uh, and the people that i met are just priceless so yeah it's a very strange thing that going to school does that to you but it did that for me um and just opened up opened me up in in a very yeah in a very very
0: profound way Both your stories really resonate with me because, um, as you, um, Hilda, I was a very conservative girl. I grew up in Onicha, right? And all my life was in Onicha. So I think my first out of Onicha or Anambra experience was in Lagos. And for me, coming to the UK was quite a shocker as well. There were certain things that some people did that I didn't understand. But the whole experience of, you know, really learning about the cultural differences and appreciating it as well, making friends outside the circle of people you would normally make friends with, understanding different work cultures, you know, that did a lot for me and understanding myself because certain things, from my own perspective of being Christian, um, it's bad. It's bad. I cancel you. I don't talk to you. But that's not the way life is, you know, <laughs> that's not the way life is. Um, you learn that it, 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 there are differences for a reason and you appreciate that difference. And you also learn from people as well.
6: This podcast is brought to you by IESE Business School, also known as ESA. ESA is one of the world's leading business schools dedicated to continuous growth and progress. Since 1958, this institution has formed global leaders making a deep, positive and lasting impact on people, businesses and society. ESA Business School focuses on creating positive professional excellence, integrity and spirit of service, using programs that enhance transformative personal and professional growth. Think ESA, eh? it's a way to learn, a mark to make, a world to change.
0: I think what you wanted to mention
2: something. You yeah, know, I was going to talk about what Kemi said when it comes to learning. Because uh, I remember in second year, I had some classmates who were running away from, you know, you know first year, you have to do accounting. like the finance. I have an engineering background, right? You know what I'm saying? So second year, a lot of people were skipping the finance, the deep finance classes, like corporate finance. And for me, uh, yeah, honestly, you guys, you know, everyone was financial modeling. People were running away from those classes. They were like, I came here to learn, I'm gonna do those classes. So I was like leaning in and just making sure I spent time to get all I can when it comes to finance. So I was taking all those crazy classes even in second year. So I can definitely relate to that.
0: I think I think for me it was more of a um, learning to pass Nigerian mentality, shine through with finance. <laughs> <laughs>
4: anyway, anyway, no, no. I think uh, it's been a great conversation so far. Um, just considering that you know the target of uh, target audience here typically Africans who want to experience you know some of the ups and downs and get a bit of global uh, knowledge through MBAs. I just wanted to get your perspective. So typically, you know, in B school, there's always this push for um, people wanting to try you know, what they call what the triple jump. You know, try a career outside of their home countries. But uh, and also in your cases both of you came back to Africa um, What was that transition back like for you? Um, You know, why did you choose? I guess um, in your case maybe Kemi for you was a bit more um, You know defined given that you were coming back to your job, but maybe Hilda, you know Was there some temptation to try to work outside of Africa?
1: I'm trying to think, I never applied, for, to be honest, the first company I applied to was McKinsey. Like I knew I wanted to work at McKinsey. I applied to BCG and the rest, but I knew that this is where I wanted to work. Like all my effort, like 90, you know, like when it's application, like career, when the career services people are just like praying for you this thing goes through because you're not <laughs> applying anywhere else. Um, but at the same time, I was very curious about Europe. I wanted to stay, I think that's something even today, like I, I constantly have debates, like, you know, should I, should I be live somewhere? Um, <laughs> But when I, specifically, I kept thinking, you know, I've been born and raised in East Africa, I went to school in South Africa, if I got West African experience, I'll become truly Pan-African. So it was like a thing for me, and it was, you know, if I get into McKinsey, I want to go to the Lagos office. But had I not got into McKinsey, I don't know, because I, I think I'd have applied to roles in Europe, I don't think I could say, like, I specifically said, I must go back home. I came home because I got a job with a company I wanted to work for and I would have followed whatever good opportunity wherever that had taken me. I was young, I was single, and like him, I didn't have a job waiting for me. I was looking, so it was about really like, who's giving me the offer? You know, which interviews am I passing? Because <laughs> it's also, like, that's the thing about B-School, and we don't realize, if you don't have a secure job, you're literally spending a lot of your time doing nothing but networking, applications, mm-hmm. ETC, etc., etc. so as soon as you get one golden offer... You, you breathe out and I think some people keep looking after that. I stopped looking. I was mm. like, yes, guys, I'm going to Lagos. <laughs> let's, let's do it.
2: <laughs>
1: Nice. I nice. think as soon as you came to Lagos, yeah. I left that's true but actually because we had like an onboarding s- session in South Africa and Kemi was a facilitator yeah. and it was such an amazing thing for me because she just made me feel like don't worry you can hack it you know <laughs> <laughs> like my very first time coming to Nigeria it was the same flight as Kemi and it was, it was one of those calming spirits like don't worry you can hack it like you'll be fine she's but hacking it she's <laughs> hacking it <laughs> I know six years later I'm still hacking it yeah you're hacking it yeah because yeah. I'd actually never been to Nigeria I didn't have any friends here I didn't have any family like my McKinsey friends we Came okay, my family, it was it was like a whole new adventure for me. But yeah, I'm glad so, I did it. Yeah,
4: thanks for that, here. Yeah. I mean, when you came back, what was it like? You know, I guess there was a contingent waiting for you. Like, hey, not Vali-
3: really. that was with her talking drum.
4: Unfortunately, not. That'd be good on you for uh, that. Um, you know, like I you said, it, it you. wasn't just what? academics. You know, being able to um you know get that uh you know understand all your classmates that different nationalities different backgrounds and being able to be voted valedictorian i actually think you know, you know it, it's actually you know something of worthy uh you know that that uh, we can celebrate so what was it like when you came back to work um did you did you feel that you know sense of okay at least i, I know what i'm doing what i'm saying now I understand a little bit more about how people think how people uh you know the mindset and all that what was it like uh, do you want to just
3: yeah so i mean this job was not waiting for me <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't oh, yeah, it wasn't when i left <laughs> i resigned oh, right oh, yeah i resigned
5: okay because okay. yeah.
3: yeah there are no study leaves That's right true, so I, again i was not an analyst so i was not sponsored i just said i'm going oh, yeah. okay bye-bye okay. so I, I left but this is the thing you don't burn bridges right That's so true. i i firmly believe that we don't burn uh, bridges, as long as they're not, you know, um, detrimental to your health or to your yeah. to your wellness. <clears throat> and so I, I was so sure that I wasn't going to come back to Nigeria immediately because I thought I've done Nigeria all these 28 years. Yeah. Let me go and do something else somewhere and eventually come back. Right. I always knew that I was going to come back to Nigeria. I always knew that this Nigeria was always my long term plan. And what had happened was just before I went off, um, I had done work with um, in the public sector, and I think it just captured me. I felt like one of the things that's uh, missing in uh, our construct. We, we don't have strong institutions, right? It's part of the reasons why um, you know we're not where we need to be. So we don't have strong institutions, and what makes strong institutions is the people, yeah. right? It's you know having competent people in the policy space, having competent people in the civil service, you know, delivering all of these amazing projects and plans that we yeah, we don't have a shortage of. Um, and I saw that there was a real dearth of, you know, capacity in, in, the, in the public sector. And so the business environment will always be not ideal because the people making the decisions and the people making the policies and the people implementing are not the best talent. I look at the... Uh, the, the most advanced economies in the world, right? Their best graduates, their best talent. Going to government. Going to government. They're going to public, into into civil service, right? Um, and so you can see that uh, talent, you can see it reflected in, 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 in those economies. And so as I started doing work in the public sector, I was like, oh, this is what is missing here. Because here it's it's the reverse. Yeah. It's the people who don't get the top jobs in the private sector and in MNCs and all of that are going to the public sector, right? And that's why we have what we have today. So after doing public sector work, I knew that I wanted to come back and do that work, but I thought I was going to do it after two years. So I thought, you know, let me go somewhere. Again, this was devaluation. Let me go mm-hmm. earn some hard currency some somewhere, recover from the fast ghost <laughs> the economy had given to me and then, you know, come back with my accent and, you know, make <laughs> I just got back, yeah? <laughs> uh, I just got back accent. <laughs> but, but as I, as I, as I continued, I, so I was interviewing, like I didn't have a job, like I, I was interviewing and all of that. There were many constraints from, you know, work permits. Uh, Brexit had just happened. Yeah, that's true. Then, so all the sociopolitical political conditions were not, they were not right you know, at that point in time. What also happened was I had a family situation that needed me to be back home. And so even though I was torn and I was like, oh, I wish I was going somewhere else to go and you know, X, Y, Z. um, And I'm a realist, as you can tell. I look at my situation and I say, okay, what's the best course of action? Then we move. So with all of those things happening, it was tough to get a work permit with my passport. Brexit was happening. There was a lot of uncertainty in Europe. Um, even you know the UK which was usually the um, popular destination for English speakers because there's also language constraints in, right exactly so if you're not speaking German Spanish or French your constraints to maybe um, the UK Netherlands and maybe yeah. Berlin you know yeah. maybe those three places are the places yeah. that will Brussels. take you
5: what, yeah.
3: Brussels right Um, so all of those things and yeah, I went to India and I was trying to pick up French, but I knew I could not do complex problem-solving I I Was unable to I cannot think deep with French Exactly In fact, on some days of the week, I think in Yoruba I think in my mother tongue (laughs) Then I translate it to English and then I communicate So I knew that it was going to be really hard for me to be an exceptional professional in a place where I wasn't like doing the first other thinking in English. So Mm. all of those things, and then I needed to be back home for my family. I just thought, okay, let me go home and let me go and start this. This thing I wanted to do after two years, let me just start early, Mm. right? And go back and continue to do work in that space. And since I've been back, actually, I've been doing, I mean, now I do 100% of my work in the public and social sector space, right? So I think that passion, um, plus all the situational things, led me to, to where I am now. And that's how I, that's how I came back. So I, then I said, ah, McKinsey, I'm coming back. Well, let's talk, you know? <laughs> um, so I had a few, pseudo interviews <laughs> because it must be documented that yeah. there was a hiring process somewhere <laughs> there um and that's how that's how i came back
1: yeah oh, wow. i actually didn't know that you resigned I, I, did, didn't know. I did i just saw you back in office and assumed boom <laughs> kemi is back <laughs>
4: exactly. <laughs> exactly everyone was with that kemi is coming, exactly. back. <laughs> Kem is coming <laughs> back he
1: wasn't
3: sure that kemi was coming back in fact i got yeah. an offer in dubai for real
2: I got an offer in Dubai. Wow. But I think I was just like, let me just come home. Interesting. yeah. 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 Interesting. That's, so now, I mean, thinking back uh, after all these years, so like, is there, if you look back, is there like any advice you would give? So uh, the reason I ask this question is we're going to have people listening to this who are looking to make that change in their career or who are MBA applicants. Um, thinking back now, like, what advice would you give yourself? uh as an MBA applicant, you know, if you look back, is there like anything you would change in your approach? Like
1: Um So as an MBA applicant and as a student or just applicant. Just applicant, right? I would say the yes, first the thing applicant. the first thing is um, there's lots of good schools. Not every good school is the right school for you. I know everybody's like, oh, you need to shoot for these schools or whatever, but no, I don't think it's about that. If you look at like where the top companies hire, there's quite a broad spectrum, right? Like I don't think, um, and some, somebody told me this as well, like if you, you can't go wrong if you apply to the top 20, right? It's going to be same quality of education, but it's about the vibe, the kind of people, the kind of prof- lecturers... As you said, you know, do you vibe, <laughs> do you vibe with you from that school or not? Right. Um, so that's one thing to, to to think about. Like, look, read in depth about the schools and figure out like which is a match for your personality type, as opposed to the hype out there. Right. Otherwise, you'll be very miserable, spend lots of money, and it's two years or well, even it's one year. Right. It's one is a long time to be miserable. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, and then the second thing I would say is like take the process seriously. Like, everybody thinks, no, um, you just wake up and get into B school, but actually, no, there's lots of preparation, there's lots of essay writing, like, get get a, people around you can actually help you review this stuff. Like, you know, put some, dedicate some time to it. Like, personally, I remember, like, when I studied for the GMAT, I used to get to the office maybe, like, at 4.30 a.m. every single day and study before I started work, Um and even the office was laughing at me, like, man, what's, what's going on with you? But I knew, like, this is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, this is a serious goal for me, and I want to accomplish it this year. And the time goes by so fast when you're, when you're applying, right? The other thing is rejections are normal. Again, there's a business school for you out there. Some will reject you. That does not mean you're a failure. That does not mean you're doomed. I mean, I didn't get into Harvard or Stanford, but I ended up at McKinsey, right? Um, so there's, there's no such thing as like a set formula. Like, just divorce yourself from all those things and focus on the right school for you. And save. Awesome. <laughs> save. save.
2: Save. Especially when you're saving in Naira.
0: Save.
1: <laughs>
5: Yeah. No, I said should stop saving in naira anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> No more saving the naira. Oh man, uh,
3: I think Hilda has said, has said it all. You know, find the school that that is right for you. Um, I mean, maybe don't be like me and apply to just one school. <laughs> maybe apply to. I was I feel I feel very blessed and lucky that I got into the school that I wanted. Um, but I think find find the school that is right for you. And the way to find that is, uh, attend open days, do research, exactly. talk to graduates of that school, right? Actually engage with graduates of that school. And I find that people are usually happy to, you know, connect and talk about their their, their business schools. Yeah. It, it it's almost as if like every alum wants to, you know, recruit <laughs> new candidates uh, for, for, their, for their school, for their alma mater, so talk to people. Yeah, uh, pro- getting into the school that is right for you is, is almost like a job. It's a project that you have to yeah. dedicate time, resources to. Um, so you need to take it seriously. It's not just going to, you know, some people say, hey, I got admission in this school. I just saw an email in my inbox. They gave me admission. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. like that for a lot of people, right? So I think even if you're giving honorary admission, because your profile is really strong. And they see something in you that they want. But for business schools, usually, uh, the demand is usually greater than the supply. So, yeah. you will be the one to have to go and get what you want. So, dedicate time, dedicate resources, take it properly. Rejections are normal. My rejections came from scholarship applications. Um, <laughs> I applied to every possible because, I, and you know, the first line of my scholarship application is, although I am at McKinsey, I am not sponsored, you know, because I, like, I don't want these people to think that I'm trying to get extra cash, right? But I think apply to as many scholarships as you can. Yeah. You know, every dollar matters. People yeah. that I know that I enjoyed business school the most are people who um, had, you know, different sources of funding yeah. um, and they were able to have that, you know, that kind of cushion. So apply to as many scholarships as you can. Need-based scholarship, female scholarship, African scholarship, STEM scholarship, any scholarship you see, just apply. Even if it looks like you're not eligible, apply. Because you never can tell. Sometimes they they don't have enough applicants. And so they're looking for people to give this uh, money to. So apply to as many scholarships as you can. The reason why this is important for for people like us is because funding is one of the biggest barriers to actually going to get an MBA. Um, and so, you know, right now there's more options in terms of scholarships and all of that, which is part of the things that, you know, being alumni helps us to do advocates, you know, so that there's more representation and all that. Uh, but you know, apply for every scholarship possible. I think the last thing I would say is when you get into school, like, As part of your fund raising, don't just raise your tuition and your house rent and all of that. A lot of the learning happens outside of the classroom.
1: And it's not free.
3: And it's not free. (laughs) So these trips, these dinners, these field trips are not free. But that's where the magic happens. That's where the bonding happens. And I keep saying, in class, you can't be just with your friend. Like in class, there can only be one speaker and it's usually going to be the facilitator or whoever they've asked to, you know, kind of answer a question or respond. Um, Where are you going to have the time to actually, you know, forge these relationships, which are usually one of the priceless things you get from, you know, an MBA? It's in those out-of-class moments. And so those things are not cheap. Oh, we're all going to
1: Barcelona. Mm. I know. We're going right, to Japan. Yes, we're going to Japan. <laughs> oh, Barcelona, then Japan. <laughs> Barcelona, then Japan.
3: In fact, you know, when you mentioned Japan, is so true because it was on my flight back from Japan that my heart was so activated that I started writing. Yeah,
5: awesome. and you know, that was
3: literally my first blog post, and then it's become something that I've been doing for five years now. I feel like if I did not go on that Japan trip, I probably would not have been motivated so to write. Yeah. Right. Um. But the only reason why I could take that trip was because I had the funds for it. So as you save, understand that, you know, there's school fees, there's living expenses, but there's also, yes, we can call curricular. it a learning extracurriculars fund that you need uh, to be able to really get the full value from, from this experience. Yeah. It's going to be really bad if you go and you can't engage outside. You might as well have just done an online degree and yeah. in the comfort of your home, you know, so... Make sure you prepare for that as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I think related to that, and this is maybe my personal experience, but I know many people as well, is like take out time to actually invest in financial literacy. Like a lot of us are, you're coming from Africa, even if you had a good salary, it's not that great. But also if you're coming from a place where you're living with your parents, for example, you've never really had to manage like your entire financial spectrum. You're going to business school, you're taking out loans, you're getting scholarships, and you have to plan for this yourself, right? And I think it's very easy to just like go broke, first of all or to end up like not meeting all the obligations, or um, you just turn around and you're confused. Even if, even after business school you get the big job and you still can't manage your money because you just like, and not because it's deliberate, it's just that historically speaking, you've just never had that much money to manage. You know, if you get a scholarship, for example, for your living expenses, you wake up one day and boom, 30K euros on your account, right? If you don't know the basics of budgeting and planning and these are things we're not taught in school and if you're from a wealthy background you've not even seen before right it's a real struggle like I struggled a lot with it um, initially because was like you know I have all this money in my account I can go and buy new things <laughs> And I, I speak to like, friends who are like, oh, no, I'm this, I got the same scholarship, but what I've done with the bank is every month they give me this amount and there's a block for the rest. I was like, oh, that's smart because I'm here spending like five months' five months' money in one month, Like, you know? I need help. And I think if you know you're going to business school and you've got an admission, that's one thing you can do. Like there's so many people these days, um, both in Africa and abroad, where you know you spend like $100 or something and really, really understand, find, like just get yourself literate when it comes to managing money, especially like from Naira to FX or Uganda shillings to FX. It's something you need.
2: You also need that in Nigeria. Doesn't <laughs> so, Naira, Naira, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, can we just to transition into the alumni piece? You talked about. Um, uh, you talked a bit about that. Now, I mean, you lead one of the most engaged alumni groups. In the country, we talked about that area, <laughs> you know, around one of the well, one of the really good campaign. So now I, I know a lot of alumni groups actually look up to see you, you know, see uh, you uh, alumni, you know, on uh, to see how they can uh, improve things. But uh, my question to you is. Now, what kind of advice would you give to groups out there that are looking to make more impact into to the people who, who are graduating from their schools or people who are looking to either go improve their lives like what 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 kind of advice would you like that's the two advice you can give to groups looking to help their i mean their, their alumni improve the the, the life of um, uh, their, their members to prepare them for the future of work right which is very important right uh, so
3: Absolutely. Um, I think the first thing is that understanding that, you know, the only recruitment pipeline you have for alumni is the school. (laughs) (laughs) So once you understand that, it actually helps to, you know, help you shift your mind to understanding that you are not doing um, the undergrads a favor by, you know, engaging with them. You're doing yourself a favor. By engaging with them, right? Because students ultimately become alumni, right? Yeah. There's no other place to recruit alumni from. That's true. Um, and so that's the first mindset shift I think I would encourage, like the leaders of these groups, to have. You know, the earlier you can um, engage, the more you, the more your chances, or the higher your chances of actually having alumni that are engaged and active. Um, There's research, and I've seen it, right? A lot of people don't engage with their alumni until like five years after they've graduated, right? Because in those first few years, they're just trying to survive, man, you know, trying to get a job, pay off your loans, you know, whatever it is. Um, Establish yourself. And it's only when you feel kind of stable that you start looking at it and saying, hey, what is that alumni that they're saying? What are they doing there? And, you know, how can I support? However... If you have planted the right seeds and cultivated them while they were undergraduates, you will always be somewhere at the back of their minds. Remember that there's so many competing priorities, like life is happening, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think just starting early is important. So what do you need to do? What advice would I give? Uh, Two things. One is listen to uh, the people that you're looking to serve. And it seems like very basic advice, but... A lot of us design programs and build things from our own experiences. However, our experiences are worlds apart from the experiences that current undergraduates are having. Like I know we all struggle to say we're still millennials, we're young and all that, but even within the millennial group, they have very varied experiences. And even within like the Gen Z group, they're also very varied experiences. So there's value in just listening. And understanding what the needs are, so engaging with them, whether it's by surveys. Surveys are like the weakest, weakest way to get the real gist, by the way. But I think going on ground, doing some sort of focus groups, some town halls, you know, just understanding what's going on, what do you need, what what are the biggest issues that you're facing, and all of that, right? Um, that's one way to do it. So I'll give you a quick example of where this was on managing money, right? I did think well, I was, when I was an undergraduate, nobody taught me how to manage money. So I mm. want to build a financial literacy program. And honestly, the beginning was, oh, it will be about saving and budgeting because I thought that was what they needed. Yeah. And then I engaged with some of the young guys and actually did a survey. Maybe about 200 people responded, which was very impressive. And it turns out they know how to save. They know everything about budgeting. Where the gap is, is investing.
5: Yeah.
3: If I did not, you know, do that extra step of going to listen to understand what the needs were, would I build this very, very great program that doesn't meet their needs? Because they already know the basics of saving and budgeting and all of that, and it's really investing that was the gap. So I would say, listen, it's it's a bit painful because it means that you need to kind of Get over yourself and get into the heads of the people that you want to serve and really do things for them. But listening is priceless. That way you're able to design things that are fit for purpose for them. I think the second thing that I would encourage is collaborations, right? You cannot do everything by yourself. And so when you understand the needs, who are the people who are experts at this that you can work with to deliver these things for them? So, for example, for everyone who's graduating from... Covenant University. Now we have, you know, we've partnered with 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 the with the lady who has a program called the Employable Graduate, yes. right? So it's workplace readiness, um, and we give it to everyone. You have access to it. There's, there's, you know, how do you think about your CV? How do you think about the world of work? And they have like demos and all of that, right? So I know it's impossible for me or the alumni team to deliver that consistently, but let's find somebody who does it, right? Yeah. And let's partner with them to actually. Help with workplace readiness and all of that, yeah. I think the other thing is so collaborations for that, even this financial education program we're collaborating with another uh, organization to build it and you know deliver it. collaborations in terms of you know working with organizations and understanding what do these organizations need from their future prospective employees, and then taking that back yeah. and designing programs to actually meet those needs, so you know listening up for what the needs are on both sides and then collaborate to deliver on these things. The rewards might not show immediately. I think this alumni business is a long game, uh, because people are students for four or five years, but they're alums forever. right? So you might not get them in the first few years, but if you just consistently continue to offer value, listen out, give them what they need. There might be uptake, there might not be uptake, but eventually it will convert, right? and people will begin to see the value. Um, of the things that you're offering, as long as you continue to tweak it uh, and, and you stay consistent in offering it to them. Yeah,
1: that's what I would
3: say.
1: Hmm. That's, yep. that's pretty cool. cool. Apparently, that's the thing. You have to be cool, you know. You have to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the stuff are telling us. <laughs> I mean, if you're constituent on Instagram, you go
5: and meet them there. So, let's go.
3: Let's go. Let's go. Meet, there.
2: meet your constituents where they are. Yeah, yeah. But that's a very valuable point, you know. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Chair Uh
0: Yeah. Um, just piggybacking on, you know, the conversation about work readiness. Now, what we have seen happen in Africa recently now, and there's an explosion of opportunity, especially within the tech space. Um, there's interest in, you know, a lot of startups springing up here and there. And even with the bads. Bad governance, especially from the Nigerian perspective, somehow we still get funding foreign direct investments in Nigeria um, My question for you, Hilda, is now seeing all of this spotlighting on opportunities being created, how do you think um, young grads can take advantage of this cross border opportunities because this is not just created within Nigeria. we see collaborations with across um, Africa, across Africa and Europe and other countries how can young grads take advantage of these global opportunities and, you know, also working with highly talented small teams because who the people making these changes are actually entrepreneurs, bringing this attraction to entrepreneurs. How can they work um, effectively and efficiently within these small entrepreneurial teams, you know, from your own
1: experience? Well, maybe this is controversial, but you remember, like, how when we were getting to the works, it was like, 10, 15 years ago, and there was this whole thing of, oh, everybody wants... Uh, your entry level everybody wants experience right where you're supposed to buy experience from i feel like now especially uh, in a post-covid era it's the first time where you can actually get experience because a lot of people are self-taught there's opportunities to earn and practice upwork um fiverr so many different platforms right you can literally go on youtube teach yourself something and begin to monetize it right I feel like, in my opinion, the best way to capture opportunities as a young graduate is to do that. So don't sit around waiting to apply to jobs and get a job. That will happen, and you know I I really want that to happen for you. But it will be better off if by the time that happens you're even more prepared because there's literally no barrier to lifelong learning. There's no barrier to skill development, especially if you've got some level of access, right? I know some people don't have access, and that's a different challenge to solve. But as much as you have access to learning, learn and practice your skills. There's people making thousands of dollars a month on Instagram, Selling their courses, their their, their talent, their gifts. Um, there's people who are you know just setting up profiles on GitHub and beginning to, to write code and see how that goes. And when when eventually invited for an for an interview, you who has you know the last 18 months of. Of, of work you've put in versus a person that's very, very qualified but has not put in all that. It's a game changer. You want to be global? This is the way to be global. From Upwork, you can serve clients literally all over the world, right? You start off with a $5 an hour rate, you end up with a $50, a $100 an hour rate. It's possible. We're seeing it happen, literally. Um, Coursera, what's it called, Udemy. um, There's a bunch of ways right now that you can learn and begin to earn. The job bit is great, but it's no longer the major part of the equation. And even like in my work, for example, one of the things that we're seeing is that there's less, even in tech, there's less full-time jobs and more gigs, right? Because the more talented you are, the more you know you can earn from everywhere else. It's so hard to keep tech talent right now, especially in Nigeria, because they'll tell you, you know, like, If I'm contracting, I can make $100,000, you know? I'll put, my profile is up on all the right places, and this is what I'm making. And I'm making from my house. Um, And you want me to come into an office every day in Lagos traffic? Like, you know, what are you offering me? So the opportunities are definitely way beyond that, but also you have to think beyond employment. It has to be more of a, like, a sustainable way to earn a decent living with or without the employment framework. And with that means, like, so you have to prepare yourself in terms of your hard skills, your soft skills, your, like, suri- surrounding network, you know? This is why Kimmy went to marketing class, because if you decide to take gig, gig, gig route, you need to know how to market your, your, your skills, build your own pipeline, build your own funnel, and you can be very successful that way. And... There's people who do that and then eventually you apply for a job because like, oh my God, I'd love to do this job. And of course you will not get an entry-level salary. You cannot. You already have an earning track record. No, nobody's going to come and bring you down. So you find 27-year-olds really, really making a lot of money because when they step into your office, you can't offer them what you're offering another 27-year-old. They're showing you their receipts and track record of earning. So if you're a young graduate, focus on like hard transferable skills that you, can be, that you can develop and earn with whether or not you have a job. That's what I would say. Is a
0: focus just on, sorry, just to ask further, is a focus just on hard skills because these days, I think it was recently I was reading something um, that um, employers are more likely to employ someone who also has very good soft skills. You might have the hard skills, but, of course, you do need soft skills to complement that. Um, you need to have a good work culture as well because if, you are, if you're someone who's just um, technical and you don't have people like people, um, people relation and also relate with people. That's a challenge in itself as well. What do you
1: think about, about this? So soft skills are definitely important and you know, Kemi, feel free to chip in if you want, but there, you have to not work with people, you have to not resolve conflict, you have, to know, you have to be a pleasant person to work for, for, lack of, for lack of a better word, right? Even if you're an entrepreneur, yeah. you won't get referrals, you won't get repeat business, so it's a, it's, it's a skill you need. So it's not just about the technical skills. I think the point I was just trying to make was around you don't have to wait for an employer for all those things to happen for you. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I think I, I even um, call those skills like strategic skills because sometimes when you say soft skills, all this hard guy, hard guy, you don't want soft skills, I'm like, okay. <laughs> 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 really, let, let's give it a fancy name, <laughs> let's, they're, they're strategic strategy. skills, so that people can <laughs> pay attention to it. But you know, strategic <laughs> skills essentially, you know, how do you, conflict resolution, Right, uh, somebody sent me a stinker of an email yesterday. I've just been looking at the email. I was like, I don't even know where to start. But I know that my conflict resolution skills is where I need to you know, lean in to be able to resolve that. Um, problem solving skills, right? creative thinking skills, yeah. um, critical thinking skills. Those things are like soft skills, but they're strategic skills, yeah. right? Communication mm-hmm. skills. In this world of shorthand and autocorrect, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, being as an effective communicator will stand you out Mm -hmm. right so how are you able to write you know some people have great ideas but they just can't write it so your communication skills both verbal and um and written Mm. uh, are things that you know can stand you out those things they're not always taught in school
1: super important not
3: every employer will train you on it as well so actually spending I'm in self development yeah. um, and making sure that you come you come ready is is non negotiable yeah. yeah
1: i think even like just adding another set of skills is like self management and self regulation as prior stinker email right being able to be measured in the workplace not not that you can't have an outburst because everybody has that but understanding like yourself your emotions your temperament like which in which environment yeah in which in which environment am i most successful you know mm-hmm. what are my triggers how do i make sure i'm not just going on burning bridges because <laughs> because i don't understand myself right? Mm-hmm. You know how do you learn to, to breathe, to take a break, like what's my breaking point. And a lot of that is like self-discovery, but you can also like take deliberate effort and learning to get there. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Can, yeah. I, can I just quickly add um selling as well. Oops. Um I think oftentimes yeah people people don't like to sell themselves, yeah. like to sell their skills. Yeah. we
3: branding. I
4: don't know. Personal branding. <laughs> exactly. Personal branding. <laughs> exactly.
3: And, and the thing about personal branding is I mean I know sometimes it's, it's sort of like packaging, but I think it's the undertone of it is understanding that you're valuable, right? Yeah. And so that self-discovery around your skills, your gifts, your personality, yeah. um, your learnings, your experiences, and just understanding that all of that is a unique package that you exactly. can offer, yeah. you know, in exchange yeah. for value. Um, yeah. And you need to be able to understand that and then know how to, yeah. how to sell it yeah. uh, as sell it were. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Awesome, thanks. Uh, been
3: quite
5: insightful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's been
4: a, a very fun, fun one.
5: conversation. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so, trick question. Um, I guess anyone that's feel free to, you know, go first if you if you, you want to take this. Uh, so, w- what's um, actually this one is just off script. Did uh, did any of you have uh, an interesting nickname in secondary school? Anyone can go first if you.
1: I didn't, but also like Uganda doesn't have a heavy nickname culture. Like I was shocked in Nigeria.
4: Oh,
5: it is a nickname.
1: Like everybody has a nickname. Everybody's name is shortened. Like, blew me away.
3: Uh, they used to call me Kekere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Kekere means small. In oh room, I God. was so tiny. I was oh, so wow. tiny. That is so, funny. so I was Kekere. And then as you said, everybody's name is shortened. So I was also Konos, like K-O-N-A-S. Wow. So, and I think the reason for that is, you know, in Bo- I went to boarding house. Yeah. Um, if you did not write your name on your things, you're gonna come back empty handed uh, so my mother would inscribe k.onas on all <laughs> my handers, my <laughs> people, everything so i let you know when you came um my mm. nickname but kk was like the because i was very small yeah, interesting. yeah,
2: well. <laughs> yeah. That's nice <laughs> that's interesting uh the next one would be i'll just say then anyone can go fast uh i think this one will be easy for Kemi. what's the most beautiful place you've been to
4: tough.
3: I hear that Go. I believe people are
1: listening. It's not I believe people yeah, If I was to pick, num- my number one would probably be Chefchaouen in Morocco, the blue city. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I could have said Marrakech, but no, Chefchaouen is really beautiful. The world is a beautiful place, guys. Yeah. <laughs> let me say that <laughs> bur- <laughs> the, the whole world is beautiful. But I
3: think one of the most beautiful places... Tops and Kekos, the water is divine. Oh, I can imagine. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's the so weather. beautiful. And the weather is great. I really loved it. Um, I mean, I, I went there for my honeymoon, so maybe I'll also oh. just a bit like... Exactly. <laughs> I was going to
1: say Greece because of honeymoon. I <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, but yeah, I think the waters there just blew my mind. It, Picture perfect.
1: Mm, the world. Yes, okay. But the
3: world is beautiful everywhere. Yeah. were beautiful, beautiful
1: surprises place. you.
3: The tea, the tea plantations in Rwanda are gorgeous. Right, right. Um, Europe has you know, beautiful architecture. architecture yeah. uh, Asia is also another just amazing, amazing place. I loved Japan. Japan it's was such a mishmash of everything.
5: Old you know, and
3: new, tech and rural, just beautiful. The world is amazing. Like, how can I make places,
1: places, can or... I... <laughs> In a cizoo? country Nigeria. Beautiful. <laughs> In Nigeria, I think the that, that, that I love, I, I appreciate the most. Actually, two. Uyo and um, Jos. Like with Joss, mm-hmm. it was just... Like, In, Nigeria? Fix, In Nigeria? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Namdi's oh, wedding. Yeah. I just really, really loved being there. The vibe then was like so green and lush and clean. I also really enjoyed that. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
5: I can I
1: just,
0: ask uh, yeah. as you guys go next time, can I just be in your suitcases and just
3: it's your cat, with you your vaccination card, please?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, what what's your country count now, Kevin? Like, is like is it up to forty? Oh yeah, yeah, I
3: think it's forty-one or
2: forty-two. I'm not sure. Forty-two. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I
3: know, yeah, right?
5: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I remember when you were doing thirty before thirty, so uh, that's pretty cool. Oh, nice.
0: Um, I think we've pretty much uh, gotten to the end of today's episode. I really don't want to let you guys go, but um, Obi, do you want to say something? No, I was going
2: to. If I could ask one more last one last question on the lightning round, is that just if it's possible, you can just drop a name. Uh, so, which current CEO or former CEO do you admire the most? I'll go with you here. That first.
1: Does would be a CEO? A
2: leader. Uh, leader? Yeah. Can you be a leader? It can be a leader. Okay, it can be a leader.
1: Lionel Messi, and I'm happy to to back it up. Um, the thing is so, um, I, I, yes, I enjoy football, but at the same time, there's very many different types of captains, right? And there's uh, people on a team who want to be this, the star of the show. Like you know you're good, um, and you're the leader, you have every right, you have the authority, and you have the mandate to do it, and so you drive from the front. Then there's a world where you also have that same stuff, you're competent, you've got the mandate, you really are the leader, but you do it. Um, within your team you empower other people if there's hard work to be done you have to be done like you know you really need goals to be scored right like you'll be running to score goals but at the same time it's going like deep in the field It's helping every single person out he's passing the ball like I find that style of leadership extremely inspirational where like by the time you are with your colleagues everybody knows this person is one of us they're hustling with us when stuff it's hard they take it but when life is good we get the glory as well I find it extremely inspirational mm.
2: That's pretty interesting. That's really cool. I, I would not have predicted that answer.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think for like following in the
3: same like sporting um, sporting analogy, analogy. <laughs> I think the one person yeah. that I'm coming to discover and appreciate is LeBron James. Yeah.
5: Um,
3: my husband is a, yeah. he's a diehard LeBron fan. And I think it's growing on me. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. On the hard days he will deliver... But he's secure enough, and I think it's that security that I yeah. find very inspiring.
1: And humility. He's
3: secure and humble enough to actually allow other people shine.
1: Yeah. Um so and that's the kind of leader that I aspire to be. Exactly. Like when you're leading a team, right. you want them to look to you not like as this person in the high castle they fear or this person who takes all the shine, yeah. but to feel like really this is a like this is something we're all pulling towards yeah. and our person is here with us in the mud
5: yeah.
1: and we don't have to be afraid cuz they're here. Like yeah. I love safe I love it like spaces. with my team Yeah. like when my team like this is a safe a psychologically safe space for me yeah. and we're going in the same direction. Yeah. awesome <laughs> Boom this
2: this has been a fun conversation and uh, we're happy we we gave you the chance to have your reunion
1: too thank you guys so by
2: the
5: way our babies
1: are born like two days apart like <laughs> oh, oh, one day apart cool. actually you're right Monday one apart. day apart yeah
2: that's that's really cool uh, I, I, just read, I feel
4: like i, I feel like we, we have to bring you guys both on the show here and, um... <laughs> uh,
2: yeah we well, had such a good time
0: thank you
2: all right Chimaka. Over to you. Thanks so much for making this happen. Uh Chimaka, over to you.
0: Thank you so much guys for coming to this podcast. Um apologies for all the name mistakes I made earlier. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not that kind of fessing. <laughs> but thank you so much. Um this I learned a lot especially as um there were a lot of things a lot of experiences or a lot of things that i didn't really think about before i think seeing the world through your own ears and eyes helped me a lot and possibly something that i would enforce um hopefully we'll get to have you guys again on the podcast sometime soon i hope i hope you guys make some time for us and as usual thank you obi and charles uh for slugging it out with me and for the time differences still being here with us. I um, also want to say thank you to our sponsors, ESA Business School uh, for making this possible. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we would bring other exciting conversations. <laughs> thank you, you guys. guys. Happy holidays. Yeah, thank, thank you so guys. much, guys.
2: Bye. <laughs> Bye guys. We made it. We did it. We made it happen. Made okay. It. Bye, guys. Yeah.
4: Bye. <laughs>
6: Thank you for listening to this episode. We're grateful that you stuck around this long. If you want to learn more about ESA Business School and how to get started with your MBA journey, please check the show notes for a link to helpful resources. Don't forget to check us online at alumunite.co and follow us on social media to stay updated with all the incredible work we are doing. Till next time, stay focused and continue to reach for the skies.